morning, Pinion Hills Community Church. Good to have you here with us. Who is excited to be here this morning? Good. I apologize in advance for all the moths flying around. It's like Mothageddon in here. I'm told that this is one-third of the way through the hatch, and there's millions more moths to come. Uh, to, to preface our time together this morning, there's a chance that the moths uh, will get into our fire system, as they have been in the last 48 hours, and set the fire alarms off. So if they do go off, don't run out. It's just Mothageddon and moths doing their thing inside the fire alarm. So if it goes off, it's just business as usual here at Pinion Hills. So I'm grateful that you've chosen to join us. We are in the, the middle of a series called The Hunt, which is all about the question we started last week, which is basically this. What are you hunting for in life? What are you searching for? What are you looking for in your life? A couple months ago, uh, my wife and I heard a little rumor that there was a sale going on at the Animus Valley Mall at the Dillard's over there. And so we're like, hey, let's go in and check out this sale. So we loaded up our kids into the minivan, drive down there. We, we walk inside with our kids in, into, uh, into the Dillard's. And sure enough, 75% off of everything. And I'm like, jackpot, I'm a cheapskate. This is awesome, speaks my sixth love language. And so I'm all about the, the fact that there's 75% off of everything. So my wife goes into the women's section. I go into the men's section and we're both like loading up our arms, like shirts and pants and hats and shoes. And so we're, then we're going into our respective dressing rooms. I go into the guy's dressing room. My wife on the other side of the store, she goes into the women's dressing room. And we're all trying uh, stuff on. And I've got, I don't know, 20 different outfits or so that I'm trying on. So around the 19th outfit, I got another outfit to try on. Around the 19th one, I decide to call my wife and see how she's doing with all of her shopping. So I pull up my cell phone. I call my wife. She's on the other side of the store somewhere in a dressing room. And I'm like, hey, babe, how's it going? And she's like, oh, it's pretty good. I, I found all these different shirts. I can't believe the shirt that I'm trying on right now is only $3. And I'm like, I know the pants I'm wearing right now, they're like $4. This is amazing. Isn't it awesome? So we're talking for a few seconds. And then we both said the same thing at the same time. It's like one of those moments where you say, like, Jinx, you owe me a Coke. We said the same thing at the same time. And it was in the form of a question, which was one of the most horrifying questions that either of us have ever asked each other at the same time. We both said this at the same time. We said, how are the kids? Yeah, thank you. That's what I'm going to say when COIFD calls me later on. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> How are the kids? And it occurs to both of us, neither one of us have the kids. We brought them into the store. We just don't know where they are. And I was like, babe, I thought you had the kids. And she's like, I thought you had the kids. And I'm like, no, I'm in a guy's dressing room. Why would I have that? Oh, I'm in a dressing room. Why would I? So it, it occurs to us, we don't have the kids. And so we both bolt out of our respective dressing rooms. Honestly, I don't even know if I was wearing pants at the time. I run out of the dressing room in the Dillard's and I, kids, 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 are you here? She's running on the other side, kids, kids. I can hear her from the other side of the store. Our kids were totally fine. They were underneath a, a clothing rack. They were playing. They didn't know how neglect, neglecting their parents were that, that, that I would be put in jail some, someday for, for that scenario. They were having the time of their lives. And so I brought them back and bring them, brought, them, brought them into the dressing room. I, I got all the kids back. Two out of three is not bad. Right? Just kidding. We got all three kids. <laughs> and in that moment of desperation, when we were hunting, searching, looking for our kids, for my wife, she was horrified. All these scenarios were going through her mind. What if somebody adopts our kids? What if somebody takes them? What if somebody kidnaps our kids? Meanwhile, I'm on the other side of the store. And, and, uh, confessions of a pastor. Those things weren't going through my mind. You know what was going through my mind? Was that one of y'all would be at the Dillard's at the time when I'm running around with no pants on. <laughs> 
and that you would be like, oh my gosh, Pastor Matt has lost his mind. I, I thought that you were going to pull out like your phone or something, like check this out, it's going on pastorsgonewild.com, like I'm, this is going viral. That's what was going through my mind is that I wouldn't have a job here much longer because I was the naked pastor running around Dillard's, that I'd be known for that. Anyway, there's, there's times in our lives that we go through, through short periods of time where we're frantically, desperately looking, searching, hunting for something, but there's other times in our lives that, that we're looking for something throughout the entire duration of our life, or at least we should be. I went to a funeral recently a couple weeks ago for a woman named Pam Miller. She came to this church, and perhaps you knew her, or perhaps you even came to the funeral that was held here at Pinion Hills, and one of her grandsons got up on stage, and, and he quoted his grandmother. He quoted Pam saying this, and I love this quote. Uh, he, she said this, Pam said, it's easy to find the bad in somebody, try to search for the good. Now, I love this quote. It's easy to find the bad in somebody. It's easy to search, look, hunt for the bad in somebody, try to search for the good. This is one of those bits of advice that is not just a one-time thing that we do and check the box and say, okay, I've done that. This is something we should do for the rest of our lives. This is something we should do every single day. Make it a challenge to hunt for the good in people. Now, in addition to that quote, Last week, we introduced a, a quote that God had said about David. Now, here's how God described David. He described David as a man after God's own heart. Now, this, too, is something that I want to challenge you and myself. How do we get that description? How do we be somebody who is searching for the heart of God, hunting for the heart of God? How do, how do we get God to describe us someday as a man or a woman after God's own heart? How do we do that? So last week, what we talked about is that, is that if you want to be described as a person after God's own heart, first you need to assess your own heart. What is in your heart? What are you allowing in your heart? You've probably heard the phrase said before, garbage in, garbage out. But the opposite of that is true as well. Good in, good out. Godly in, godly out. Whatever you allow into your heart is what's going to come out, which is why Jesus says in Luke 6.45, he says, for out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. What you allow into your heart is what comes out. Garbage in, garbage out. Good in, good out. Godly in, godly out, which is why Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23, he says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above everything else that you do in life, guard your heart, because everything else that you do flows from that. So if you allow God into your heart, it changes the way you speak. You allow God into your heart, changes the way that you think. You allow God into your heart, changes your actions, how you live your life. You allow God into your heart, it changes your very desires in life, which is why David later on said this in Psalm 37, 4. He says, take the light in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When God is in your heart, everything begins to change. In fact, if you're taking notes, you can write this down in your program. When God is inside, everything changes outside. When God is on the inside of your heart, everything changes on the outside. For the overflow of the heart is what the mouth speaks. And I'm convinced that David, this guy that we're talking about in this series of, of, of the hunt, I'm convinced that David made this decision to allow God into his heart at a very early age. As a teenager, he made the decision to allow God into his heart. And that's where we're going to dig into the story today. So if you have your Bibles, open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. That's where we're going to jump in. 1 Samuel 17. Now, 1 Samuel's in the, the Old Testament. It's the ninth book of the Bible, so just go to the Genesis and keep flipping over. You'll eventually find 1 Samuel. If you hit First or Second Kings, you've gone too far, so back it up a little bit. 1 Samuel 17. Let me catch you up. If you weren't here last week, then this will be uh, kind of a, a refresher for you. If you were here, then, then I'm, I'm re uh, refreshing you as well. So here's where we're at with this particular story with the life of David. Now, King Saul was the king over Israel. Everybody say king. 
Everybody say Saul. King Saul was the, the king over the nation of Israel. Now, he wasn't always the king. The nation of Israel didn't always have a king. They, they had had other leaders that were unofficial leaders. They had Moses. They had Joshua. They had a guy named Samuel who's a prophet of the Lord. But they never actually had a king. But the nation of Israel, all the Israelites were looking around. They're like, well, that nation has a king. How come we don't have a king? That nation's got a king. That one's got a king. And even though they didn't necessarily need a king because they already had a leader, they started desiring and envying and they were jealous of the other kings of the other nations. Isn't that how oftentimes goes? You don't necessarily need something that somebody else has, but you see that they have it, and all of a sudden you want it, you desire it, even though it's not a need, it's a want that you have. The nation of Israel doesn't necessarily need a king, but they want a king. And so they go to Samuel, who's their leader at the time, and they say, Samuel, we want a king, we just don't want it to be you. You're too old. And so the nation of Israel, they get a king. King Saul is their king. He becomes the king, but the problem with King Saul is that he's not obedient to God. He doesn't listen to God. God says, go right. He goes left. He says, go, go do this. He doesn't do it. He's disobedient. He's disobedient to the word of the Lord. So one day God comes to King Saul through the prophet Samuel and says, hey, you have rejected the word of the Lord. Therefore, I'm rejecting you as the king. So King Saul is on his way out as the king. God tells Samuel, I want you to go find the new king for the nation of Israel. I want you to go to town, to town of Bethlehem. Here's a guy named Jesse. Jesse's got some sons. One of his sons is going to be the next king of Israel. So Samuel picks up everything, goes to the little town of Bethlehem. He shows up, Jesse, Jesse, anybody named Jesse? He finds Jesse. Hey, one of your boys is going to become the next king. He meets all the boys. They bring in David. He's the youngest. He's number eight in line. And, and God tells Samuel, that's the guy. This is him. David's going to be the next king. So Samuel tells David, hey, you're the next king of Israel. Meanwhile, all the other seven older brothers are all there to witness this. And they're like, what are you talking about? The youngest brother is going to be the next king of Israel? The youngest brother? He's the pipsqueak. He's a sheep herder. He's the runt of the family. Anybody the youngest in the family, by the way? And he high-fives somebody around you who's also the youngest of the family. We get a bad rap oftentimes. The hater's going to hate, whatever. You keep being the youngest in the family. Let people complain all they want to. David is told by Samuel, you're going to be the next king of Israel. So as future tense, you will be the next king. So that gets us all caught up to speed as far as where we're jumping in today. King Saul is still the king, even though he's about to be on the way out. He's still the king. David's already been told by God he's going to be the king. That's where we start our story, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now you're all caught up. 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 1. The Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. Now, I don't have time to get really into this, but just know that Philistines, bad guys. They're not good guys. They don't honor God. They don't love God. They have their own gods. And so they are not God's people. In contrary to that, there's the Israelites, God's chosen people. Oftentimes, it's the Philistines versus the Israelites. That's where we pick up in verse 3. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another and a valley between them. Now, now this is painting a picture of one epic battle. There's an army on one side, on, on one hill, and there's another army on the other side, and they're converging together. They're both preparing for war. This is like, this is like a movie that you would see, like a war movie. In fact, let's, let's just have a little bit of fun this morning. Let's just say that all of you are in an army from this center aisle over. You're all in an army together. On the count of three, give me your loudest, craziest war cry that you can possibly think of. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Wow. That was like short and sweet. Let's see how this side does. Not you guys over here. Everybody on this side, on the count of three, your loudest, craziest war cry. See if you can outdo them. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> also very short and sweet. I feel like I'm a conductor up here. Good. I, I think the decibel level is slightly higher on this side than this side. So you guys, congratulations. Give yourselves a round of applause. You won. You're clapping for them. Oh, you're so nice. So let's just say you're good, you're bad, you're the Philistines. Congratulations, you hate God. So on this side... 
you're, you're the Israelites, and it's the Israelites versus the Philistines. Philistines come forward, the Israelites come forward, and, and, and it's like the, the makeup of a, an incredible, epic war movie, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a guy, Mel Gibson, rides in on a horse. He's like, you can take my lives, but you can't take our freedom. Just kidding. I, I get a little carried away. So Philistines and the Israelites, it, it, it's, it's shaping up to be one epic battle, and, and they all come out, and nothing happens. Then as they, they line up, one guy from the Philistine camp, he walks out onto the battlefield and begins to taunt the Israelites. That guy's name's Goliath, verse 4. 1 Samuel 17, 4. A champion, I'm out of breath, I'm all out yelling. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Now, I know that you don't operate in cubits, but I did bring uh, a tape measure up here today to, to help you visualize this. I'm about 5'10 or so. He, Six cubits in a span is about nine feet seven. That's 45 inches taller than me. Wow. I'm not very good at this, but let's see. Can you see the top of that thing? That's how high Goliath is. Homeboy is big. <laughs> this guy's a freak of nature. I mean, he would have crushed it in the NBA. He'd be like, Boosh, I, I dunk on your forehead. <laughs> Anyway, so he, he, he's obviously, he's really, really big, really tall. So nine foot seven, he's a very tall behemoth. Verse five, Goliath had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore a coat, a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. Now 5,000 shekels is about 100 pounds. His helmet and his body armor is about 100 pounds. He's like, Ugh. You know, in verse 6, this is where it gets even crazier. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. Now, 600 shekels. This is just the tip of his spear. Just the tip that he would throw weighed 600 shekels. That is about the equivalency of 15 pounds. Just the tip of the spear. Now, now again, for fun, I brought something that weighs 15 pounds. Um, I brought a dumbbell. This is 15 pounds. <laughs> I lift things up and put them down. <laughs> now I, I know, I know some of you are like, whatever. I could totally, I could totally take this dumbbell and, and you could throw it, and perhaps you could because you're super like ripped and swole and all that. Maybe, maybe you, maybe you could do that. I'm not as as strong and as talented as you are, but 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 think about this. Think about this weight being on the end of a spear, not just being able to lift it, but being able to. I'm going to break my arm doing this, but. <laughs> Oh, we have liability insurance. <laughs> but being able to throw this like a dart, can you, Im can you imagine coming against a guy, like, wow, you like me. Uh, can you imagine coming against a, a warrior who's nine foot seven, he's weighing 100 pounds, he's got 100 pounds of body armor on, and he can throw a spear with, with a dumbbell on the end of it and throw it like a dart and pierce somebody with it. This guy is just a freak of nature. Now that sets up who, who's coming out onto the battlefield from the Philistine camp. Verse seven, here's what gets even crazier to me, his shield bearer, Goliath's shield bearer, goes before him. He went before him. Which is funny to me, a guy that's nine foot seven, he's wearing 100 pounds of, of armor, he can throw a javelin with a 15 pound uh, tip on the end of it, he's got a bodyguard in front of him. A guy that's w holding the shield for him so he can just focus on the offense while the other guy focuses on the defense. This guy is a warrior. This guy comes out on, onto the battlefield, verse eight. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. He said, why do you not come and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? 
choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will be your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then Goliath said this, verse 10, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. So he's coming out and taunting the Israelite army. He's, he's mocking them. He's making fun of them. You guys are a bunch of pansies. Send somebody over and, and let's fight. And, and he didn't just say this one time. Goliath would come out every morning. The Philistines would come out. The Israelites would come out. They would line up for battle. And every morning, Goliath would come out and he would taunt them and make fun of them and basically spit in their face and basically say, if you got somebody, send them out. And for 40 days, Goliath came out and the Israelites did nothing. For 40 days, Goliath would come out and taunt King Saul, and King Saul would run away. He was afraid. He was terrified. In fact, it says in verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. For 40 days, they let Goliath taunt their army, their king, and their God, and they stood by and did nothing until one day, enter Sandman. Just kidding. Enter David. For those of you who know that reference of Sandman, you're welcome. I just made your day, didn't I? <laughs> David shows up. David's not even supposed to be there. David's not one of the soldiers. He's not one of the, he's not one of the people in the army. He's back home in the town of Bethlehem. He's, he was tending to his sheep, but his dad, Jesse, came to him and said, hey, will you take some bread and some cheeses to your brothers? Can you, they're, 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 fighting, they're, they're fighting with the Israelites. Will you take some food over there and deliver it like, you know, modern-day Grubhub or something like Uber Eats? Like, will you be a delivery boy for some food for your brothers on, on, on the front line? He's like, okay. So, so he gets some food. He gets ready to head out. Verse 20, early in the morning, David left the flock in Bethlehem in the care of the shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. His dad has to had told him to do this. He reached the camp as the army was going into its battle positions, shouting the war cry. In other words, he reaches the camp as the Philistines come out, as the Israelites come out, shouting their usual thing. Now, again, it feels like an epic battle is about to take place, but this is just like Groundhog Day. <laughs> Same thing happens day after day after day. Philistines come out, Israelites come out, Goliath comes out, he taunts them, they do nothing, they go back to their respective places, and nothing actually happens. The difference is that David shows up. David's here this particular day. And David is there when Philistines, the Israelites come together, and Goliath comes out and starts taunting the Israelites. Verse 23, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Now David, hearing Goliath taunting the army, taunting the king, making fun of their God, it bugs him. So David hears Goliath out on the battlefield, and he starts asking the other Israelite soldiers, he's like, Who's this guy? Who's this nine foot seven freak of nature? Who's this guy taunting my God? And so all the Israelite soldiers are like, well, you don't want to mess with him. He's nine foot seven, but he's also got 100 pounds of army. He's got a spear with a 15 pound tip on the end of it. You don't want to mess with this guy. But then David asked the question to these Israelite soldiers. He said, well, what happens? What happens if somebody goes out there and beats him? What if somebody conquers Goliath? What do they get? So the Israelite soldiers, they said, well, King Saul has already said, he's already made it evident to the whole army. If anybody goes out there and beats Goliath, not only does that person get riches and get wealth from King Saul, but they also get to marry King Saul's daughter. And not only that, not only do they get wealth and they get to marry King Saul's daughter, but they don't ever have to pay taxes ever again in their lifetime, which I know for many of you, you'd be like, well, okay. I mean, so you're saying I could, I could get filleted like a fish on the battlefield. I could get my head cut off, but I might not pay taxes ever again. Okay, sign me up. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm, Read my list, no more taxes. <laughs> Some of you would be excited about that, but David, David's like, okay, uh, I, I, I want to know all the details that I can about this person. So David's asking all these questions. 
Meanwhile, while he's asking questions to the Israelite soldiers, word trickles back to King Saul. And King Saul is hiding, he's terrified, he's dismayed somewhere, but word trickles back to him. Somebody's asking questions. What do they get if they beat Goliath? And so King Saul says, summon that guy, whoever that person is, summon that person over here. So they bring David over, and you can only imagine the disappointment that King Saul must have had when he realized it wasn't one of his soldiers. It wasn't a warrior that was asking questions. It was a little shepherd boy that was the Uber Eats delivery guy with bread and cheeses. So David shows up, verse 33. Saul says, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He has been a warrior from his youth. Now, at which point, if I was David and the king told me, hey, you, you can't go out and fight this guy. You're a pansy. He's a warrior. You, you can't do this. If I was David, I'd be like, you know, you're right. <laughs> I don't really know what I was saying. I just got excited about marrying your daughter. She's kind of cute. Like, I don't know. What, the whole taxes thing, never paying taxes. I really, I really got worked up about that. But you're right. I would get filleted like a fish if I go out there on the battlefield. So good call. I'm going to back away. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem and watch my, my sheep. But that's not what David said. David tries to convince Saul, hey, put me in, coach. Let me go at this guy. Here's what David says, verse 34. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when the bear or the lion turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. At which point, if I'm King Saul listening to this, I'd be like, are you crazy? You're telling me you went and grabbed a lion by its hair. You grabbed a bear by its hair. I'm like Dr. Seuss up here. <laughs> you grabbed a bear by its hair and you killed the bear when you grabbed it by its hair? How dare, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but if I'm King Saul, I'm like, you two are a freak. I thought we were talking about like nine foot seven boy like out there as a freak of nature, but you, you grab lions and bears by their hair. That's just weird. Who does that? He keep, keeps going on. David keeps talking in verse 36. He says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, in other words, he's saying, this guy that is a disobedient to God, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. I love David's heart that he's just like, come on, put me in. Come on, Saul, let me go at this. And then he says this in verse 37. David says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. What faith that, that David is demonstrating. God's provided for me here. He's provided for me here. So he's going to do it again. He's going to provide for me here. He's going to rescue me once again. And it was, it's easy to quote verses like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, isn't it? Does anybody know by heart Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Anybody, anybody know that verse? It's like a life verse, a couple of you. Here's what it is. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Submit to him or acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Now, many of you know this verse. You, you know these two verses by heart. For some of you have it written in a plaque. You have it nailed on your wall in your home. This is a life verse for many people. But how hard is it to actually live by this verse? To trust in the Lord with all of our heart, not just a part of it, not just this portion of it over here, but to really trust in God with all of our heart. Do we really do that? Or is it just nice, a nice phrase, a nice set of verses that we could put on a wall and a plaque in our house? David is literally trusting in God with all of his heart. He's saying, I'm willing to go out on the battlefield and, and God's protecting me here, he's protecting me here, and he's going to protect me again here. And if I'm wrong, if my trust in God is wrong, I will die on the battlefield. He's literally saying, I'm giving my entire heart to God. I'm trusting him with absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. So at this point, he's saying all this. He's saying basically, 
Saul, put me in, put me in. I, I can take this guy out. God's got me. He's, he's got my back. So King Saul says in verse 37, he says, go and the Lord be with you. Which I think is kind of funny because I think this is lip service. Because if King Saul really believed that God was going to be with him, King Saul would be out there. If King Saul really believed this, he would be out there. If, if he really thought that God was going to be with somebody, he would be out there taking the credit, taking the glory as the leader of the Israelite army. But instead he says, David, go, may God be with you. So here's what happens next, verse 38. Saul dressed David in his own tunic. There's the evidence, in my opinion. I think Saul wants everybody to see him walking. They, he wants to trick his entire army, thinking King Saul is the one walking out there. He's wearing, he's wearing, David's wearing King Saul's clothes. He's trying to get him to do that. He put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. Verse 39, David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. But then he said to Saul, I can't go in these because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. He took off the tunic, took off the armor, at which point I'm guessing King Saul was like, okay, you're toast. I thought for sure you were dead before, but now you're dead, dead. Like you're for sure a goner. Like you're, you're going to be done. You got no armor. You're going to go out there with no armor and face Goliath. Yeah, right. Verse 40, David took, this, took his staff in his hand, shows five small or smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. He, he approached Goliath. Now, this had never happened before. Every morning for 40 days, this is the 41st day, the Philistines would come out, the Israelites would come out, Goliath would come out, they would retreat. Every day, same scenario would take place. What has never happened so far is that when Goliath came out, another person came out, another a warrior, a soldier would come out. That hasn't happened yet. So when David starts approaching Goliath, I'm sure the whole Israelite army is leaning in like, what's about to go down now? The whole Philistine army probably all leaning in. They're all getting popcorn. What's about to take place? Like, finally, there's a battle that's about to take place. So Goliath comes out. David starts going to meeting him. Uh, Goliath says this in verse 41. The, meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer, Pansy, he's got a bodyguard. She, she's got a shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. Goliath looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. Verse 43, Goliath said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Goliath said, come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you all into our hands. Whew, what a cool speech. What a way better speech than anything William Wallace ever delivered. Like, David comes out and starts dropping it like it's hot. The whole Israelite army is like, holy cow, did you hear what David just told Goliath? I'm sure the Philistine army. Did you hear what that guy just told Goliath? He said he's going to cut his head off. He said he's going to give our entire army to the carcasses, our carcasses to the wild animals. <laughs> Can you believe he's taunting him? And not only that, here's what happens next, verse 40, 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Verse 49, reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sunk into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Game over for Goliath. Nobody thought that that was going to take place. 
King Saul didn't really believe that was going to take place. The Israelite army didn't think it was going to take place. The seven other brothers that, that perhaps knew he was going out on the battlefield didn't think that David was going to make it. The whole Philistine army, they didn't think that that was going to happen. Nobody could have predicted or bet that David would have won that battle. And it makes sense. It makes sense that nobody saw that coming. Because here's a list of the things that David did not have. He didn't have height. He didn't have weight. He didn't have strength. He didn't have size. He didn't have training. He didn't have equipment. He didn't have weapons. He didn't have the knowledge of war. He, he didn't have any of those things. He didn't have any of that stuff. Here's, here's a list of things he did have. God. He had God on his side. He had God in his heart. If you have God in your heart, you're prepared enough. If you have God in your heart, you can go into any sort of epic battle, and you can win that battle with God in your heart. Here's what David realized. When God was in his heart, God was on his side. In fact, that's something that you can walk away with today. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. When God is in your heart, God is on your side. When God is in your heart, God is on your side. When God is in your heart, God is on your side, which is why Paul later said to the Romans, he said in Romans 8.31, he said, what shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? If God is for us, what can be against us? If God is for us, no weapon formed against you will prosper. If God is for us, what chance does anybody else have against you? If, if God is in your heart, Nothing has a chance against you to, to prevail, to beat you. The odds might seem like they're stacked against you. There might be this, this metaphorical giant, this metaphorical Goliath in your life. In fact, the question that I would ask you is, what giant is in your life that's preventing you from fully following after God? What giant is in your life that's preventing you from, from being fully in, from being obedient to God? Is there anything that it seems like this crazy big monster, this big giant in your life? Perhaps it's a, it's a, a sin. A perpetual sin that you've been allowing in your life and you've, you've been involved in this sin for such a long time that you're like, I don't know if I could ever get away from this sin. It's lying. It's just your native tongue. You just lie all the time. I don't know if I can get rid of that giant in my life. You can do anything. When God is on your heart, he's on your side. You can conquer any giant. You can slay any giant. Maybe it's lust. Maybe you have an addiction to pornography and you've been addicted for way longer than 40 days. It's been 40 weeks, 40 months, 40 years, and you feel like, I can't ever get rid of this addiction. Maybe it's an addiction to alcohol. Maybe it's addiction to some other substance abuse or medication. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's idolatry. Maybe the, the, maybe the giant in your life is regret and shame from something you should never have done in the past. Maybe the giant in your life is regret and shame for something that you should have done in the past. What is the giant in your life that's holding you back from fully following after God? There's no giant too big, no giant too tall, no giant too strong. You might feel like you don't have the right education. You might not feel like you have all the right training, all the right weapons. You might not feel like you're underprepared and you feel like you in, of, your, of yourself, you don't know how to get rid of this big giant that's in your life that's been taunting you day after day after day. But if God is in your heart, he is on your side. And if God is for you, who, my friends, can be against you?